everybody and welcome to episode number 12 of wedding photographers unite yes my name is andy buscemi my name is neil urban and a special guest with us today mm-hmm. my name is scott sutherland scott sutherland welcome scott thank you thanks guys live in the <laughs> studio wow. yeah i feel like i'm with some celebrities <laughs> So uh, we are a bi-monthly wedding photography podcast, mm-hmm. a wedding pho- photography podcast for wedding photographers. By wedding photographers. And uh, we're actually just going to just start it with our normal routine here and just see what's mm-hmm. been going on lately. So, uh, so Neil. Yes, Indy. What's up, man? Uh, How are things much, going? Oh, well, our wedding season just started. Um, our wedding season started a little bit late this year, um, but it, it's underway. Um, right after we recorded last episode, uh, my wife and I, we w- took a little vacation. And normally you would think people take vacations after season. Well, we take one before just because we, we go away, collect our thoughts of what's going to happen this year. Yeah. Just the calm <laughs> before the storm kind of thing. And then, uh, and then we get right, we came right home and got right into it. And uh, we uh, were recording on Tuesday. Day, and I had a uh, had a wedding on Saturday, and man, I am still sore. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you guys can relate. I'm, yes, I'm, <laughs> matter of fact, <laughs> uh, actually, Scott and I can in particular. Uh-huh. So everybody that if you're listening right now, there's a couple of things we need to introduce Scott in just a second. But mm-hmm. uh, but one of the things about Scott is Scott is like one of my main go-to second shooters that I use here in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, but Scott and I, uh, we just shot this uh, Indian wedding not last weekend but the weekend before, mm-hmm. and I don't. <laughs> know what your legs scott felt like after coming home from that wedding but i literally like the next day could not move <laughs> like, like i was literally just like locked down to my yeah to when you wake up you just can't get out of bed there was a lot of walking there was, there was a, lot a lot of walking, walking. yeah but also mm-hmm. like at those indian weddings like a lot of like up kneeling and, mm-hmm. and up and down and up mm-hmm. and down and oh, like squats. everybody and their brother has a camera around you oh, yeah, and yeah. it's uh yeah it's, it was quite the event particularly crazy yeah there were a lot of cameras there <laughs> yes um so uh and, yeah, and what else and, have you been um, up to anything anything well, else well, i shot, shot my first wedding and one thing i gotta i gotta tell people is that usually right before last season ended i bought new pants you know to work in and everything mm-hmm. and uh you know i got i got everything ready <laughs> and then i put my pants on and they were very tight oh, no. <laughs> so do, when you're buying new clothes don't buy them at the end of the season because you know you've been working a lot of weddings yeah working during the summer so you lost some weight and yeah. then <laughs> went through the off season and i put put on some put on some pounds that's, and, that's and actually dude, that like, is, what am i gonna I, I hope they don't rip on me that is so true because like i literally like on a wedding day i lose weight because yeah. like i eat just a little something in the morning and i come home i'm like two pounds lighter you know especially depending on what we eat you right, know right um but uh, and in the fall season i mean the pants are on sale so i just buy them and uh and then <laughs> so i i need i need a i need a set of pants for the beginning of the season yeah and another set for the end i actually dude it's so funny you say that because it's actually the same thing i don't know scott i don't know if you noticed the bottom of my shoes uh the one we were I shooting not no, no but if, no, but there's like a hole them. in the bottom of my shoe and uh-huh. i'm like you know they're like they're nice shoes you want to wear nice right, shoes right. to one and 
there's just like there's a hole in the bottom. So any, so as I was kneeling over at this wedding, you know, like lying down on the floor to whatever I needed to do, I'm sure, I'm, yeah, I'm sure these people saw my holy shoes. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I get those same like, holes in my shoes. Sometimes there's like little rocks or pebbles that get inside there, so yeah. they kind of like rattle a little bit when you walk. It's like, yeah. what is that? You have to trust your footwear. I mean, you guys have talked about this, but right. it's so important to know that, like, okay, I know I can make it through an entire day in these things, and it's tough to mix up your shoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, so I other than your that, holiness. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, uh, that's what I've been up to. So okay. the, the wedding season has started. What about you? Yeah, and for me, it's just the same thing. Like uh, the party's over, man. The par- <laughs> what, like whatever party was happening before, you know what I mean? Like as we kicked off this podcast, we we're like have all this time, and right. that party is over. Like the party ended. We, we're uninvited, and now we're it's wedding season. Yeah, full yeah. effect. And I'm I'm kind of feeling it right now, like. Like I'm just I'm like in a, I'm a little stressed with just a lot of things going on mm-hmm. right now, but because I have a lot on my plate mm-hmm. and it's all good, yeah. but it's just I didn't expect it to hit this hard. But There's a little bit of a learning curve initially. Again. Yeah, yeah, yes. and there is, you know, like you go away and you know, like like I've had like maybe like one wedding per month, roughly. I had like a couple months where I mm-hmm. wasn't shooting like at, at all. Right. Um, well, at least weddings, but. Uh, but yeah, when you come back into it, it really is almost like a shock to your system. You're like, mm-hmm. oh. I'm doing this again. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's every week, you know, with the exception of those few off weeks, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, here and we go. The, buckle in. Yeah. And there are points as to where so, it's like, oh, I got to do the shoes. I haven't done the shoes. Like you get out of the routine and, yeah. but you got to kind of fall right back into it. So, you know, I, I will tell you that I work, this is just very free form already. This yeah, can be a yeah. long episode. I can tell already with the mm-hmm. things we have to talk about, but, but one of the things that I've, I've already learned a lot just by doing this podcast you know, I picked up on a few things here and there, things that we've talked about. I've learned from you, yeah, um, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. like, and we've learned from the guests and everything. But one thing that I usually didn't do that I actually picked up from you that is huge, and mm-hmm. I absolutely recommend if people aren't doing it this oh, way, boy. they should. What, no, what this, is, is this is absolutely <laughs> huge for me. Because usually what I do, like the morning of a wedding, mm-hmm. is I, I have, like I make sure that things are charged and that kind of thing, like my right. cameras are charged and kind of ready to go. But um, I always would, like, set my alarm clock, you know, in the morning, like, an hour, two hours, or three hours ahead, depending on how much time I needed to, like, get things ready. Mm-hmm. But one mm-hmm. thing that you recommended on a podcast at some point was just basically get ready the night before. Like, oh, yeah. have everything ready to go the night before. Mm-hmm. And I've done that on a couple, maybe two or three weddings now, mm-hmm. and it is extremely helpful oh is extremely yeah, yeah. helpful to like mentally not be you know because i think everybody freaks out a little bit you know the day that you're shooting the wedding and that just helps eliminate less of that if mm-hmm. you're packed and ready to go and not thinking about all those and then extra you can things just relax you have to do. just sit back and relax yes and then just be ready to go so yeah, and then thing. all you gotta do is put on your tight pants and <laughs> <laughs> yeah check your pants <laughs> so Okay, cool. Um, so, and you know, and now let's let's get to Mr. Scott Sutherland. Yes. Scott, yes. Yeah. Scott, number one, who are you? Who is Scott Sutherland? And then, but then also, and then after you give us a little bit of who you are, just, just a little intro. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you been up to lately? What's what's go what's yeah, going on in your yeah. life? So I, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Okay, um, life is a journey. <laughs> yes. it's such a journey. Yes, it is. <laughs> Um, no, I, I've been living in Buffalo for 10 years, um, came up here to go to school at RIT, and that's kind of where I fell in love with color and printing and photography as well. Um, initially, I wasn't a photographer. That was all these other people, right? And yeah. I was kind of a printer, and so I reproduced images a lot. 
but I bought a cheap camera and just I fell in love with light and shooting mm-hmm. and really got excited about photography. I had a lot of background in preparing images at that point. Mm-hmm. And so it was great to move into a digital workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I fell into photography. Um, I lately. Yeah. Do you, um, just because it's going to come up a little bit, do you want to mention whatever you're comfortable with, like what you do on a daily basis, what your job is? I, uh, I work know? for, yeah. I, so I work in a, on a print production team. Um, producing packaging that's a lot of peas mm-hmm. <laughs> for a, a rather large toy company yeah um, yeah so i'm dealing with a team in china and we're working globally to uh produce packaging that you see on the shelves which is really cool because i get to walk down the, the aisles of target and be like that's mine <laughs> I yeah. That. yeah that's yeah. that's good yeah that's yeah. basically and that's actually what I, i'm checking in with you now too right. because very often you don't even know this but when i have like couples in and, you know, I say, oh, you know, they'll ask me, like, who's your second shooter? And I'll mm-hmm. bring you up and I'll bring some other people up that I usually use. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, and then if, it, if it's you and if it's a date that, you, that you're working or whatever, I'll basically say, oh, yeah, you know, Scott, um, you know, anytime you see the packaging on this particular, you know, toy or whatever like that, this, this guy probably approved it. He probably <laughs> said, yes, this color looks good. Right. Yes, I mean, is that, right. is that yeah, true? Yeah, yeah. That's I, do basically, a, I do a big part of that. I yeah. handle one of the toy lines and, um, yep, it's all me and the designers and. Yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting thing to do. And on the side, you shoot weddings. I with do. Me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm legit. I'm allowed to be here yes. for real because I, I have, you know, I do know how weddings go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been shooting for probably wow six or seven years. Oh, okay. At this point, mm-hmm. and um, what you and I have been working together for like five or something like that. Five. Yeah. 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 Is that what sound is that? Does, does that? does our audience hear that sound? It sounds like a low C being played on a piano. And I think we're going to pause for a moment and we'll be right back. Okay, we are back after, I don't know, quite some time kind of exploring the building to figure out what that sound was. Uh-huh. We went yeah. on an adventure. We did we go did. on an adventure. <laughs> It's quite the adventure. Uh, can anybody, and as a matter of fact, now that we're back, can anybody actually explain what that sound was? <laughs> and if, if you heard it in the podcast, it was kind of like, rung, rung, and, and I added somewhat of a pattern to it. Too. Yeah, it was, and then there was like tapping on the pipes. But what, so something was going on. There was some kind of build going on down there. I apologize. It's, I, it, we're in my studio. It's construction time. So who knows what's going on? That sound might come back. And if it does, yeah. we're just going to keep rolling with it. <laughs> this is an old building. So we thought we thought there were ghosts at first. Yeah, it was very very alarming. <laughs> I had but, fun. I had uh, fun. In, in any event, yeah, we'll yes. we'll try and get back on track here. And yeah. Scott, we were talking about we were talking about you. We were talking about we were talking about a little bit about you know like your expertise and with color, which is a, a topic that we're going to kind of get around today. So, mm-hmm. Scott, Scott, <laughs> talk to us about color. What Aww. about color, Scott? Um, I I think color is interesting. Yeah, I. You know, the, the whole deal is that when I was in school, I was studying images and how to reproduce stuff, and I suddenly realized, like, I have absolutely no idea how people get color out of a printer. Like, how do I get the red or the blue that I want out of the printer? Mm-hmm. Like, that whole process. And so I dove in because I didn't get it. Um, and I had some really wonderful teachers that facilitated that and did a lot of reading online and um, you, you end up in this place, in this world of color management. 
which is like scary. So this yeah, is like, is. I think for a lot of photographers, especially new photographers, which, mm-hmm. you know, I was one of them, you know, recently, you know, mm-hmm. recently when we talk about like six years ago or whatever, you know, like in terms of being, you know, coming into this and everything. And a lot of people like miss the step. And I got to be honest, like this is where sometimes is a weaker area for me. I over, I understand general concepts, general ideas of color profiling, you know, and you want to match it to the paper, this kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're going to get mm-hmm. a little bit more in depth with this today and just kind of talk about color um, and what that means uh, for. Yeah, for, I mean, even seasoned for, pros. I mean, mm-hmm. I, this is an area where I, I was really interested. You know, I'll be honest. As soon as we started doing this podcast, I really want I couldn't wait to have you on the show because yeah, I I, I'm really interested in this whole process of color and everything. And especially I really want to bring this up is um, remember the dress, the famous dress, the white dress yeah. versus blue dress. Yes. Now, I mean, when I saw the dress, I saw like a like a baby blue color and a baby poopy colored yeah. brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so ever since I saw that, I'm like, oh my gosh, are my clients really seeing the colors that I'm seeing on the screen and everything? Mm-hmm. And then you know, I just couldn't wait to get you on the show just yeah. to talk about the importance of color. <laughs> well, probably <laughs> no matter what, they're probably not seeing the colors that we see because their ma- monitors are calibrated <laughs> like crap, right? Yeah. Or not, not at all. Or not, not at, at all. all right? mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the crazy thing about this whole color management thing is you can't ignore it. Even if you're trying to ignore it, it's happening in the background. There's profiles being applied to images and conversions happening, and you simply got to get got to get on board with it. Uh, so, okay, so let's let's talk philosophically for here for a second. My favorite. This yeah. is mm-hmm. just philosophically. Just like, is it even possible? Like, what is correct? You know, like mm. just even in terms of like shooting. Is there even such a correct thing as like correct white balance when you're shooting, and what this what does that mean? You know, even to begin with. So let's we're all, we're all let, let's start about like oh we're tense. Yeah, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's start no, about I mean, even know, even just I the know. capture itself, that, and you know, um, well even if regardless if you're shooting raw. So if you're shooting raw, we're not going to dive deep into that. Hopefully, people know if you're shooting raw, you can do all this color processing in post essentially. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, but but even so, like even if you're white balancing in post on a raw file, like what is correct? Yeah, I don't, look, let's yeah, talk I, about that a know, little bit. I, I mean, my opinion is that it's completely subjective, um, and that everybody has preferences within there, and we can all kind of guarantee, you know, end up in a spot where we say, yeah, that warmth is is where I want it, mm-hmm. or the cooler end is where I want it. But overall, who's to say what's right? I mean, it's completely subjective. The color, I think what correct color is, is the color that you want. And in my line of work, like my professional work, we're matching a Pantone, we're matching a very specific target. So in that case, there is like, there's a math to figure out how far away I am from a specific target. But when I'm shooting, you know, I can be shooting nature and tweak those colors. And as long as they're complementary and pleasing to Mm -hmm. me, then I'm not really interested to know what others think necessarily. And there's, there's variations along that line. When you get into skin tones, right. memory colors, like an apple, people know what the red of an apple looks like or the red of a tomato. There's expectations there. Um, who's to say that you can't sway from that? Um, skin tones are another big one, of course. Mm-hmm. People have a good sense of what's correct within that. So did I, did I answer the question? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. But so basically... In a sense, there's there's not necessarily a right, but the thing is, for me, mm-hmm. when I'm like white balancing an image in post, like 
I feel like like what I can do is like even if you take your slider in Lightroom, like your warm and cool slider, right? Like you can go like all the way to the right with that, and that is say, uh-uh. that that is definitely too warm. You know what yeah, I mean? And if you go all yeah. the way to the left, it's like that's definitely too cool, mm-hmm. right? But if you keep sliding, like there's there's an answer like somewhere in there where they're like, okay, this is acceptable to my eye in a cool term, and this is acceptable mm-hmm. to my eye in a warm term, and 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 somewhere in there is like there's like gray areas of like acceptableness mm-hmm. to me, right? And I love um, what you guys can't see right now is Andy is swaying his hand <laughs> back and forth, and it's it's actually it's a great method in Lightroom. Seriously, like the the sliders are so cool because you can do that. You you sway wide left, wide right, and then you narrow it down as you as you see what mm-hmm. you want, um, and it's a way of finding your subjectivity. Um, so you're not going to nail me down on what's correct or not. If you ask me what I do, dude, I'm looking for the white, you know, like I'm looking for that slightly off gray to white balance off of in my Lightroom images. But in terms of what correct color is, I mean, it's, I still think it's the color that you're intending for. Now, do you see yourself copying and then pasting to another image or do you just go one by one kind of thing? Because every, I mean, almost, yeah, I, I even, even if you're shooting in the same scenery, sometimes things do change a little bit. So if it's in the exact same scenery, like uh-huh. like the thing is, is like even when it's in the same quote unquote scenery, right. like it, it does differ if you like move your camera like an inch to the right or to the yeah, left, no, right? right? Where if you have different light coming in different directions, then it does change slightly. You know, you might pick up more of right. like. 10% of the window light or something like that mm-hmm. by moving your camera three so do, inches to the right. You know? I do copy and paste, so I was just wondering, am I doing it wrong? No, <laughs> no, no. So no, now, no. now I'm, like, second-guessing myself. No, like, I, like, but that's the thing. Like, at least what I do, first of all, actually, just to back to that point of, like, the swaying thing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, is it bad? So this is actually how I edit. The way that I edit is, does it, in my head, the question I ask myself is, does it look better? Does it look worse? Does it look better? Does it look worse? Mm-hmm. And you can take that on pretty much any concept. The, the the tonian you know what i mean like does it look better does mm-hmm. it look worse uh the shadows better worse better worse the exposure does this look better does this look worse and you can keep, you can narrow you can narrow it down mm-hmm. and then there's like acceptable answers and like um you know and what is your subject and then you at then i just ask ourselves all these questions but it literally just comes down to better or worse and if you keep asking that question like repeatedly 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 mm-hmm. then at least for whatever your style of editing is um then you can yeah, I don't know. Maybe I you, you get I think too much like that, and then I end up yeah. spending too much too much time on photos. But well, your style but, is your eye, right? I mean, right. The style's in your head. It, it's that sensation that you get. Then, like, yep, that's right. And through this course of making these corrections, you kind of end up in a final place of yes, this this is what I like. That's where I was intending to be, and that's my style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even some some photographers buy presets, Lightroom presets. Hmm. And they just apply it, and they walk away from it. Uh, you still have to play around with it. You know, not hmm. every image is going to look just like what that preset's made for. Uh, so you have to kind of keep that in mind too, because a lot of big beginning photographers do have you know buy those Lightroom presets that you really have to right. uh, you know play around with too. It's not just a a, cl- a click and and you're done kind of thing. You mm-hmm. still have to play around yeah. with those. Watch those skin tones. Yeah, but mm-hmm. getting back to your, like, the batching thing, like, mm-hmm. um, I think definitely, like, if it's in a similar light, it's a good place to start, like, to just batch. As long, if it's the same camera, right, it's the same camera and roughly the same lighting situation, then I'll definitely, like, batch those. But then, after I batch them, then I'll go through each image individually and slightly adjust from mm-hmm. there. I don't know if that's 
Yeah, so I feel you, like you, you know, have to right? double check. You know, yeah. Even Be, when you're batching. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Uh, so getting into, we'll get a little bit more technical now since we have uh, Scott Ooh. and by the, and the name of his, his website, by the way, let's plug it right now because I like, I love sure. the name of your website. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thinkincolor.net. Yeah. Think in color, and that's kind of like your online moniker. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. So if you search for think in color, all one word, I'm stylized. I don't put a space in between the letters <laughs> or the words, I should uh-huh. say. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll track me down. Cool. So, okay, so since we have you on, Scott, okay, let's talk about, let's get nerdy here. Right. What yeah. is color space? Oh, what man. is color space? It, it sounds like <laughs> better than space, like outer space, because it sounds more colorful. Um, <laughs> wah, wah. Uh, a, a color space is um, kind of a conceptual idea that it's it's an encapsulation of the colors that a device can create or reproduce. And different from what our eyes see, right? Mm. To some extent. Yeah. We yeah. had started to talk a little bit about this on yeah. a previous episode. Yeah. That, that kind of like when we talk about dynamic range, that's just like our Ooh. eyes have a bigger dynamic yeah. range than our cameras. Our eyes are so. amazing. But not only are our eyes amazing, our brains are incredible because that's where color happens. I mean, it's a sensation. Your brain is just, I mean, your, your eyes are just sensors in a way. Mm-hmm. And so your brain is taking this information and going, okay, looking at the wavelengths and, and figuring and, out what color. And don't, our, don't we see the world upside down and then our brain reprocesses it? I think, I think Isn't that yeah. true? Yeah, I feel I like I heard that, that, that actually like our eyes... I, mean, oh, I, think, really? I think Neil just had a look of like, oh my God, <laughs> like, I didn't want to go, do, go this deep down the rabbit hole. But <laughs> my inception right now. <laughs> Neil, you process the world upside down in your brain. <laughs> so um, I, I think that's true. I, I, I don't know. But either way, our brain, it's, our, we don't actually, and then here's the other freaky thing, right? We don't actually see anything. We see nothing. Our eyes see nothing. It's our brains that actually do the scene right, at the end of the day. Right. So, but think like, about and, and and you think about like our bodies of like a, like just a vessel that's like walking through the world totally blind, and it's just the, in our brains where we see it freaks you out, man. Picking <laughs> up wavelengths all over the place. No, but see, so what's crazy is yeah, we have this perception, but at the same time, devices, printers, mm-hmm. they're all different. They're just dumb machines. They're really great machines, but they don't know what red or blue or green is. They mm-hmm. know how to spit out a certain amount of ink according to a number that you put in, right? And so we have to, what we do with ICC profiling is we take that, the colors that these printers create and we characterize it and we capture it within a profile. And so that's what, in a nutshell, what an ICC profile is, is this characterization of all the colors that a device can create. But there's different types of profiles. Is also. ICC just right. like the term of some collaborative um, group that agreed on something? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. Right. So a while ago, <laughs> I was talking about the dumb devices. Well, there were a bunch of computer manufacturers like HP and Microsoft. and mm-hmm. they, They're coming together and saying, um, our color looks different than your color, and nobody knows what's right. What do we do? And so they created this, um, the ICC, the International Color Consortium, and it's a bunch of beautifully intelligent people that have figured out this system that translates color, the meaning of color, our sensation of color across all these different devices. So um, one of the simple analogies is, you know, Neil, if I give you um, a box of crayons from the dollar store Mm -hmm. and I have my Crayolas and we both bust out our red crayon, 
right? Mm-hmm. So we scribble on the paper, and my red is Crayola red, but your red is a different red. Well, we both use the red crayons, so why are they different? Well, what profiling does is it looks at what you put down mm-hmm. and says, you know, if I add a little bit of orange to this, our crayons are going to match. And that's what we want. We okay. want the same appearance in the end. So that's a simplification, but overall we're taking tons of colors, lots of colors, measuring them, and therefore characterizing a device, putting that into the computer, and using that to make transformations of color so that the appearance that I see on my screen is going to match what comes out on my printer, what is going to come out on the printer that the offset commercial press run is happening on, that's going to come out on um, you know, my photo Fuji printer. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's capturing that color and translating it. It's so weird, man. You know, like when you're talking about this, I'm thinking of just like these other related examples of like, what is an inch? And apparently, like, nobody really knew, like, what an inch was, but they actually used these, like, they used something that, like, basically, I don't know if it was an inch, but they used something to basically say, like, this is what a foot is, for example. Mm-hmm. And they, in the old times, would, like, all the, the major governments of the world had, like, this thing that they all agreed was, like, an inch or mm-hmm. a foot or whatever it was. Standards. Said, yeah, and, and that's how they came up with a standard that said, this is actually is what an inch is. Um, and it's kind of the same thing. But but it's this is saying like this is what this co- particular color is. But like how does it do it technically? I have like how does it how technically how <laughs> how do we say that like magenta is like a magenta? It, like I don't even know. I can't even begin to to think how about is how magenta that, magenta. I mean it's yeah. A, like and like how would you say that it's the same though in one place versus another? You well, know? Um, we measure. We measure based on, you, you brought up standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have spectrophotometers that have a known light source within, should I say it again? <laughs> no, Spectrophotometer. <yes>, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I knew I was going to learn stuff on this podcast, but this is, uh, this is good. And, yeah. and so these devices, um, they're handheld. You can buy them from X-Rite and um, some other companies that make them. He, uh, you can, they have a known light source within them. And it's physics. You're, you're, shi- you're turning on the light. It's bouncing that light down on a sample and then capturing the reflected light on a sensor. Since it knows, and this gets a little crazy, (laughs) since it knows what that light source is and it knows the spectrum of the light source, when that light comes back, it says, hey, wait a minute, I'm missing some things. What am I missing? And by doing some crazy math that I honestly don't understand, Mm -hmm. um, it can figure out, oh, that's purple. Those are the wavelengths that we call purple or magenta. And we turn that into numbers. And so then you can do math from there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we have some notes here on this. So we, so we talked a little bit about the input versus output. Did we get into that? Do we want to touch oh, more on okay. that? So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's when you're talking about color management, it's uh, good to understand that there are different types of profiles three major types um, for the geeks out there there's a couple other um, minor ones but we won't get into those so there's <laughs> input profiles like if I had a scanner uh, that's an input device and I could profile how it sees color mm-hmm. um, there are output profiles 
an input would also be like a camera, right? An so input, when yeah, we decide Adobe 1998 or sRGB, Ooh, no, tricky, yeah, no, no not quite. Oh, be, oh, because if you're not shooting RAW or if you're shooting JPEG, then it doesn't well, matter. Well, honestly, input profiles aren't used as much. You can make input profiles for cameras. A, a few years ago, there, um, Grey Tag Macbeth, they had a, a crazy color checker called the mm -hmm. Color Checker SG, and you would put that in a scene and shoot a photo of it, and then you could create a profile based on exactly what the lighting and everything in that scene was. So you'd get an image, and then you would apply that profile that you just created to make all the colors super accurate based on these, this target mm -hmm. um, of, of known values. Now, we don't do that a whole lot anymore, and with the raw workflow, it, it gets a little convoluted. There's a whole other method. So input profiles are tricky. Um, Unless you have a scanner, you're really not going to deal with input profiles so much. Okay. Yeah. Mm. But what you did bring up is um, working spaces. You said sRGB and Adobe RGB. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is those are they're these synthetic, made-up balloons of color. And I like to call them balloons because you can actually graph these things in 3D, and you see the gamut of all the colors that it can envelop. And sRGB and Adobe RGB that I think most people are common, they, they are aware of commonly, mm -hmm. um, they're synthetic and they're the points within them, all the different color points, say red, 255R, um, zero green, zero blue, is a specific point in this plot. And then it goes through every single variation. Is that for each combination. pixel? Each pixel is like a number assigned to it, or like that that well, eventually ends up being a color. Sure, right? yeah. If you're dealing with pixels, but in this in in this realm, it's um, each combination of RGB <laughs> values okay. are somewhere within this cloud, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's this 3D map of where all these combinations are, um, and they're evenly spaced within there. And this is important because this allows us to make changes when I'm editing an image in Photoshop in Adobe RGB. I know that if I push saturation one point, it's going to be a, my saturation is going to jump an, an expected amount and an even amount. Mm. Whereas sometimes people try to work in a device profile, which would be for a printer. Um, and those aren't always evenly spaced. So I'm getting a little esoteric, like a little out there, but it's, it's important to know that you should always be, if you're editing your images, you should be in a synthetic working space, such as sRGB, Adobe RGB, or if you're, if you're really crazy and you're editing in 16-bit, you should be looking at Profoto RGB. But for most, most people, I think that Adobe RGB, sRGB are where they're at. So that's kind of the idea behind the types of profiles. Okay. <laughs> They're blank. Their faces are blank. <laughs> so, and, and I love it. I love it because it, this, stuff, this stuff isn't easy. Like, it's very conceptual. Yeah. It's, it's very simple once you get a grip on, oh, it's just converting from this to this and keeping my, my visual look the same. But when you explain it, it's like, huh? Okay, I don't want to know about this anymore. And, and that's why I go back to, there's some, there's some simple things that you, you really should do um, to make sure that your color management is under control. Mm -hmm. um, you should have profiles for your devices. If you have a printer, you should be printing on a profile that matches the paper and device that you're using. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, your monitor should be calibrated. Please calibrate your monitor. 
Um, and we can jump into that if you want. That's a yeah, I think I, yeah, I think that yeah. So let's get into um, you know like why why do why should we ca- calibrate our monitors? Why should we care about this color for for the results of like end products? Like if we can start talking about. Um, like printing end products, whether it be uh, you know prints for competition, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. this this kind of thing, mm-hmm. or or even to have the best results for what ends up being displayed on screen, right? Whether it right. be on and actually this is something I'm just curious about too. Like we go through these pro, uh, color profiling, but like on these phones that where you can't calibrate mm-hmm. a monitor. So I like so okay so how about so how about this right? You just yeah. said you just said calibrate your crap, all right? Yes. <laughs> and what if I can't calibrate my crap because there's no option to do it, well, you know? You can calibrate so, that crap. Oh yeah. really? Yeah, actually. You can calibrate an iPhone? You can. Okay. However, nobody will. Okay. <laughs> nobody does. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So screens um, they're they're generally tweaked to be sRGB mm-hmm. roughly. Um, sRGB is a synthetic space that was created to more or less mimic the look of a CRT monitor. And so it became the standard and just the, the go-to for so many things because it's, it's easily reproducible. It's within gamut on a lot of devices. Um, so when in doubt, it's probably sRGB. If you're putting an image on your phone and you mm-hmm. want it to show up correctly, sRGB. If you shoot an image with your camera phone and you bring it into Photoshop, chances are it's sRGB already tagged on there. Um, so sRGB is kind of like the, it's the easy answer. If mm-hmm. you ever have a question like, oh, shoot, I don't know what profile to do, to use, or what I should convert the two, or should I send my printer sRGB, you're going to be pretty safe with yes on that answer. Yeah, that, okay. that's just like the However, default, everything. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's the default, go ahead, right. Yeah. So like, but what if I want to get better? What if I'm doing fine art? print competition, and I'm printing on a super wide gamut, beautiful Epson um, large format printer, I can send sRGB to that, but you're not taking the full capability of what that printer can do. I mean, it's got greens and oranges in there mm-hmm. that exceed sRGB. Um, it's The colors are, can just be reproduced. Yeah, and then sometimes if you do go output sRGB to something that's n- that's that can handle more, mm-hmm. Um, you're you're really limiting what what actually came out of the camera too, right? Yeah. Be- yeah. And it, sometimes you know, like when you look at a photo that that is definitely like been downscaled in terms of the overall uh, color that it's outputting, right? Mm-hmm. Where like if you look at a skyline and like you look at the sun and that there's the sun in the middle and then on the outsides it gets darker, darker, darker. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you like can actually yeah, but it's like a vignette to the outside. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you can actually see like a line of like color and there's like color changes oh, on that banding? line. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. that, that, that banding, um, that, that just basically means that the color has been right. Damaged or, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Damaged I mean, that can, be, way, that can or, come from a lot of things. Um, uh, they say that editing in 16 bit would give you more ranges of values, um, to, you know, for that smooth gradation. It could be that the image was compressed in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's taking some of the color information out. Yeah, so in general, I mean, everybody's, everybody shoots raw, right? Maybe not everybody, but common wisdom is, yes, yeah, shoot raw, because that's gathering as much color information as your camera can, can get. Mm-hmm. And why not? Like, why not grab all those beautiful colors? But the thing is then, so you have this raw file and you can tweak it. Then you have to choose what space it goes into. 
So most of us choose sRGB because that's what the standard is for all of our screens. Mm -hmm. Most printers will take it. But if I'm going back to this Epson, man, if I had a map of exactly the colors that that Epson could create, that would be cool because I'm converting this raw file with all this information. I could go directly into that Epson space and know that I'm taking advantage of every possible ink that that Epson is, is printing. And that's kind of the goal. Um, you want to keep your colors large until the last minute and convert at that point into the space that you're intended to output on. Um, so if that's the web, let me back up. I've been talking about printers, but screens are printers too. Yeah, I, a sense. I still want to know how to calibrate my iPhone or, yeah, my, yeah. or my, my ga you Galaxy. You can Google that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, there is, yeah, X-Ray or somebody has uh, so, some But what do they do? Like, what do, what do the d designers of this do? Like, and, and is there a consistency between them? Yeah, so there is. I mean, like, is there consistency between them? And if there is consistency between them, why mm -hmm. wouldn't, like, Apple just ship MacBooks that have consistent output on their right. screens? So they do. They really do. Um, the, the consistency of laptops and these screens in general is fantastic. And a lot of places are calibrating them in some method. Oh, so I don't need to calibrate standard. my MacBook. That's what you're saying. <laughs> 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 well, because that's, that's what I just heard. You just said that they're very consistent. So I don't need to the worry show about is it. Over. <laughs> no, um, the, yeah, no, a lot of people get away with it. And it's okay mm -hmm. because they're. There are manufacturing standards, and they're trying to make sure that they have a good product, right? Mm -hmm. But that, that profiling and that like, adjustment doesn't necessarily account for the uh, specific intricacies of your device and your environment. So there's a backlight in all of your, in your, in your laptops, right? What's the age of that backlight? Does the color change as it ages? Um, has my laptop been through severe heat and, or cold? and that are changing the physical properties of this light. If yes, then you're swaying from what that original intent was um, when it came from the factory, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so by, by profiling, by buying a colorimeter, different than a spectrophotometer, <laughs> a colorimeter, which are like 200 bucks, right? They, um, X-Ray has them, Spider has them, I guess data color, right? Um, 200 bucks with the software, five minutes, 10 minutes maybe, and you can run through all these colors to build a profile for your specific device, custom. Um, and then you know that what you're getting on your screen is as correct as it can be. Okay, yeah. I've got another question for you. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started like years ago, I went to the zoo, all right? And I was taking... <laughs> I'm getting a Sorry. little here. <laughs> Black and white and red all over? Is this a color <laughs> joke? Is but I went to the zoo, all right? <laughs> and I was taking photos of these lions, all right? <laughs> We're laughing with you. And yeah, I know. Not at you. <laughs> but this, this goes somewhere, trust me. It goes somewhere directly. I, I promise it does. Uh, <laughs> um, but I was, I was taking photos of these lions, right? And what I did was, is, you know, I thought I was super cool, like, you know, like making it all black and then just leading to the lion's face and, you know, like, you know, coming coming in from the you know like with a gradient tool from the side right mm -hmm. and then i would like and then i went in there and like painted down um to like to bring all the black so they look black and on my monitor which um on my monitor looked looked beautiful like like the blacks mm -hmm. looked black 
but then I put it on like my PC and it showed up on my PC or I might have even put it online, like on Flickr or something like that. Mm-hmm. This, this is like 2009, 2010. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I put it up there and then I noticed like, as I was looking at it on the PC, like you could see all the places that I went in and mm-hmm. like, and like yeah. deleted mm-hmm. and, you know, like, and like cloned and did all these, these things there mm-hmm. and it yeah. looked much lighter. So actually forget like the color part of that and just, can you talk about like the the brightness and like being able to see those blacks and how we can deal with with those kinds of issues? Um, right, right. And, and is that just calibrating with like a spider or something like that, or is there more involved with that? Calibration is going to be part of that, mm-hmm. um, and it's definitely going to help you because part of calibration is looking at a device's response and kind of freezing it in time as best as we can. Um, so with it's looking at black levels and making sure that they're evenly spaced across what the device can do, and it's, it's making corrections. Um, if, you're, if your software is saying, put out a, a, a dark black, but your monitor can't necessarily um, put out, respond that way, um, then the correction is going to say, all right, well, what can this display do? And where do I, where is I, where do I as software, need to, what signal do I need to send out so that this monitor displays the right color? So hopefully what you get in the end is a nice, smooth gradation from black to white that's going to be, let you see all of those tones on screen. So if it's still too dark, it's like your histogram is almost, um, and histogram might be a tricky place to put it, but it lets you envision that your histogram is like, crunched up towards the left, right? But mm-hmm. say, say you calibrate with, with your spider mm-hmm. and you're, you're editing on your computer in Photoshop or something like that, and it looks black, but it still technically isn't, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I figured, and since then, I figured out a way around that, like in Photoshop, you Tell can... Tell me the answer. Well I, mean, <laughs> it, well, I mean, you can go in there and you can just like select like that channel and increase the brightness and then you can then you can see basically right um, right or like do a layer mask or whatever well Um, i guess in my world i I mean i'd be looking at the histogram to figure out uh, are things crunched up towards the left and is what i'm seeing on screen represented um in the numbers and in the histogram as well Uh, i don't know if that helps you necessarily but yeah no. <laughs> yeah, but but so the point is is that it's not just the calibration though. It's it's the calibration co- combined with uh, I don't well, know. Okay, right? yeah. Um, so good point. So I've been talking about profiles and all that and like what what's happening behind the scenes, but part of calibration is also getting your device into um its best state in order to reproduce color. So that includes adjusting the contrast, raising the brightness up and down. With LCD, especially on laptops, so many people are working on laptops, you've got one control, right? You've got brightness, essentially. And we change it on laptops up and down. But when you're doing color-critical work, you really want to have a higher-end display. And these higher-end displays, or even, even not higher-end displays, just a standard consumer-level monitor, is going to give you access to contrast and um, brightness. A lot of these color management um, uh, software packages or calibration tools go through a process of adjusting the brightness and finding the correct contrast where it knows that the device is uh, your that your monitor is showing the best color that it can mm-hmm. kind of priming it and that's why a lot of times after you calibrate then it's hands off don't touch the controls let it be as it is now that that device is in a great state let's let's flash some colors on screen and capture what this thing can really do 
and so that we're really describing the uh, the best version of itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So there are a couple things that uh, that calibration is actually doing. And then the other part is, you know, guys, we're professionals. Like we're selling this work. And I don't know about you, but I don't I don't want to get calls from people that's that's saying, "Hey, this re- looks really dark on my screen." Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I want to know that if I do get that call, I know that my stuff is right. Um, right. I right. know that I've double checked. Because that's an issue if you're, I mean, it's a customer service issue, right? You yeah. have to walk them through that process. And maybe their monitor is dark. Mm-hmm. But if you're not sure, if you maybe made a mistake, then that puts you in a bind. Um, so that's one of the reasons where I'm like, it's, it's almost a no-brainer. Just do it. Bite the bullet. Um, calibrate. And be happy knowing that, yeah, like this At is the best that it can be. Yeah. It right. And then how yeah. often should you recalibrate your monitor? Yeah. So the monitor shifts over time. I was talking about that backlight. The the general wisdom is once a month. If you go two, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's gonna the color management police don't come to your door. <laughs> I don't know. I know. I'm worried now. I, except for you, Andy. I might come <laughs> yeah, to your door. I, I, yeah. I <laughs> but yeah, once a month is generally I'm the, turning my computer away from <laughs> yeah, Scott. Right. So he I don't want him over. to see my crappy profile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see your profile. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I want to get back to working space. Um, I, I had had a couple of questions uh, before we start recording. Um, I always work in sRGB, uh, but sometimes printers, they ask for different color profiles, especially like magazines that I sometimes, um, who that ask for work, they ask for ICC profile. And right. I, I do kind of notice that sometimes when my work does show up like on print in, in a magazine or something, that sometimes they are oversaturated a little bit. Mm. The darks are a little bit too dark. Now, is that something on my end is to where when I switched over to ICC profile, is that something as to where I could have fixed or is that on them? Yeah, you know? it could be both. It's funny because we're, we're so intimate with these images sometimes. Like, you know the feel and, like, I, I know that that color is not right kind of thing. Yeah. So you see it in print yeah. and suddenly you're like, what'd they do? I know. Why'd like, they mess it up? This is yeah. out there. It's too right. late to, yeah, to like, change it. And ah. Why didn't they let me know about it when they did a test, test right. print? So, right, right. Um, so a lot of places, commercial work is tricky. Um, a lot of places will have a standard profile that they, that they use, or they will share that profile with you. And when you're, you, you probably, did they send you like a sheet, um, mm-hmm. usually saying, well, I mean, to this well, well, that's the thing is if, if us RGBs, the, like what everybody does, why are these guys using ICC profile? Yeah. Well, sRGB is an ICC profile, but they're very specific. If they're printing, they're converting to CMYK, um, or they're asking you to convert to CMYK, possibly. Yes. 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 Okay. So that removes them. The the onus is on you to do the conversion, which is honestly a little silly. Um, okay, and, they did not tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a little silly sometimes because I think that it's it should be up to the printer in a lot of ways, right. that they know their presses best. If you submit an image tagged with a profile, which you always should always have a profile on your images, no matter what, whether it's Adobe RGB or sRGB, make a big deal saying, Hey, the profile's on there because when the, and that's just within the metadata uh, of the image, right? Is that in there by default or no? It's in the metadata, but it's also Photoshop has a specific place to show you, um, at the bottom of your status bar. If you ever look, there's a, usually the default is to show you how large the image is mm-hmm. in RAM. There's a little black arrow to, there that points to the right. If you click that, you can click document profile. 
and that'll show you sRGB, Adobe RGB, et cetera. So it's a quick way to check what your profile is. But by default, there's something usually tagged in there, yes. and it's usually yeah. going to be sRGB. Yeah. If that's if that's probably it probably even comes from like when you took the image, even if it was in raw, if you're under sRGB, it probably tags at sRGB. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. That profile will be attached. It's kind of like metadata. The whole profile goes along for the ride right. with the image. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually, a lot of times online, if you download an image from the internet, you open it in Photoshop, you'll be like, where's the profile? It's not on there. Mm -hmm. Well, the profile takes file size. And so for fast loading online, if you strip the profile, then you don't have to... Uh, when you say profile, you're talking... This is not within the metadata. This is a separate entity within it, the, the image. Is that yes, true? Or? Yeah, it is. It gets built into the file format. So in a JPEG, in a TIFF, it's all got a, a, a space in the file. I don't know if it's in the header. Maybe a programmer can write in and tell us exactly when or where. But um, that profile goes along for the ride within the image. It also There's also a line within metadata that says, hey, yeah, by the way, sRGB is inside here, just in case you wanted to know. Okay. Um, so it's in two places. Okay. Yeah. But so you're talking about... You know, how do I, how, what do I do with this image when I'm sending it to the printer? And do I convert it? Do I not convert it? How do I do that? The best advice I can give, because it's, it's different for everybody, and we we're saying they, they gave you an instruction sheet, kind of, or a, a sheet at least saying mm -hmm. what they wanted. You have to ask the printer. Yeah. If, if you're not sure, pick up the phone and give them a call. Because, you know, they want to, they, they do want to reproduce images the correct way. I'm not saying that everyone is going to happily say, hello, customer, and yes, convert that on over to Grackle 2006. And, <laughs> you know, you might not get that kind of response, but at least you've done your due diligence. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what to convert it to, ask them to convert it. Um, see okay. if they're going to. Mm -hmm. But when it, when it comes down to it, make sure that you're tagging everything with a profile. Okay. Yeah. Now, that was on the commercial end. Now, what about the personal printing for your clients? Uh, you, yeah. have, you always have an option to choose, you know, printer does the color correction or print as is. Yeah. What should our guests be doing? Right, right. Um, so the printer should manage the color. And this is going to be, honestly, it's a sometimes tricky. I don't want, you know, just, I have no idea who's printing my images. I know the oh, company gotcha. who's doing yeah. it. But the person who's actually, you know, printing out my image, usually I do uh, print as is. Yeah. Just because I, I know what the colors look like, but sometimes they change if mm -hmm. you just never know. I, yeah. I don't know. And I'm it's, just... I think it's still, uh, it's still a time when you should talk to them and kind of see what their standard is. From a printer's end, you know, they're printing tons of images, mm -hmm. right? So there's specialty printers. There are these printers that are just cranking out work, right? So if I call up a printer that's cranking out work, they're going to say, yeah, convert that to sRGB. Or, yeah, just make sure it's Adobe RGB. They're going to tell you what they prefer. Um, and their color management systems on their printers are going to automatically do this conversion for you. Now, if you call a specialty printer, maybe someplace that's smaller, that's doing fine artwork, mm -hmm. they might have some custom profiles, and they're probably going to send you a more detailed worksheet that says, hey, this is the profile that we use for this device, for this paper, convert your stuff over, or let us do it for you. Yeah, for my competition prints, that's, that's what yeah, I Yeah, do. and I think, mm -hmm. I mean, 
I generally trust the printer, generally, haha, because I mean, everybody's different. But when you're dealing with these high-end fine art places, yeah. they know what's going on. They're very intimate with color management because they've had to profile their printers and get to know exactly how they deal with color. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's on them to want you to be thrilled with what you get mm-hmm. and to just take the full advantage of all the information that's in there. Okay. So they're going to be pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. Even Walmart printers and uh, <laughs> Walgreens. SRGB. That's all I'm going to say. Just, yeah. just and cross your fingers and pray. Yes. Don't don't go to them. Uh, and don't. And, and that's one thing. Well, that's a whole different episode about giving print release. And your you know your clients are oh, going to yeah. go to Walmart yeah. and those cheap type places. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I'm giving clients images, um, they're always SRGB for that reason. Just mm-hmm. because I know they're going to throw them online. They're going to print them somewhere. Um, and if I give them an Adobe RGB and it's mismanaged by the printer, the colors are going to look dull if the printer is expecting sRGB, some of these Walmart type, types of places. Okay. Um, so your color can change drastically when a profile is misinterpreted, uh, and that's, that's what we're trying to avoid. We want to maintain those juicy colors, the things that say, like, yes, I know that that is my image because that's what I intended. That's the whole goal of color management. So, uh, listeners, two more, two more technical things. You, work, you can work through this that They're we want to ask. You know? <laughs> no, no. Two, like, hang on. Like, this, this, is, this is part of your profession. We're not done teaching here today. All right? Two more things. So, Scott, DPI and PPI, what is that? What's the difference between those? Why, does any, why should wedding photographers care? Um, dots per inch, mm-hmm. DPI, and PPI is pixels per inch. Honestly, people use them interchangeably. Um, if you're talking about a digital file and you're talking about the resolution of that file, then you should be using the PPI nomenclature, which is pixels per inch. It's how many pixels are jammed in there. Now, when you print something, it's, it's going to dots, right? The, the printer is literally spraying dots down on the... Or, mm, Spraying in an inkjet or <laughs> pressing if you're doing offset. But, um, and then we're getting into lines per inch. But yeah. the point is that once it's actually reproduced, then it becomes dots per inch. Right. So, you know, I mean, if you want to talk about, like, how many, okay. how many dots? I guess I, I guess I do. When, when I'm in uh, Lightroom and I export, for example, to Photoshop to do some advanced touch-up work, Mm-hmm. And it gives me that option if it's not going to take in the raw file or if I'm going to an external in- editor and, I, and it wants like a TIFF file, right? Yeah. Or, or you have to choose something, PSD, mm-hmm. TIFF. Right. You, know, you have these different options of what to choose. Um, I typically choose TIFF, but one of, one of those, and maybe you can tell me if that's a good option or not based on the choices sure. available to me. Yeah. But, and I do JPEG. Um, so, right, um, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Let, oh, boy. Let, <laughs> yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. But then also within that, you know, you have the option. Do you, ex- do you export it like 150 DPI, 300 mm-hmm. DPI? You can, you can punch in a number there, right? right. Yeah, so right. why would you punch in what number there, say, if I'm shooting with um, a 5D3, which I don't anymore. <laughs> but let's just say that I did. <laughs> I I'm just going off the deep end today. <laughs> but, uh, but let's say that I was exporting. Like, why would, you, why would you choose what would you choose for that DPI? And what, what basis do you have to do that? And let's say that the end goal, the end result, is to go on a wedding book, to go on a wedding mm-hmm. album. So the DPI that you choose doesn't matter as long as you're not changing the pixel dimensions of the image. Mm. So it's just density of the 
current amount of pixels. So I could choose zero. Oh, come on. <laughs> you, you, just, you just said it doesn't matter. <laughs> you could try. Um, I, I don't know what would happen. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, Lightroom might throw an error. I've never tried zero. But so, you but you could try one? You can do one. Really? You could do 500. You can do 12. But because that image is, if you're not resizing it, it's why does still it give me the, Okay, the so then why density. did Adobe give me the option to, to, to punch in numbers that don't matter? Yeah, because generally 300 is what you want, and you can just set it right there. Um, and you're dictating with these pixels, when, the, when it goes to print, how dense do I want it? So if you're going to print, usually the rule of thumb, and this is variable, but the rule of thumb is 300. We've mm -hmm. all kind of heard 300. Yeah. Um, you can punch that in, just set it and forget it kind of thing. And you know that when you print that image, um, it's going to come out, out a certain size at a certain resolution. Right, because I mean, like, if it's a three thousand wide image, pixel image, mm -hmm. it's going to always just be a three thousand wide pixel image, right? Right. Until I resize it and, and interpolate and throw away information or add information. Right. Yeah. I'm still confused about why you even have the option then to change DPI when it doesn't matter. So if I wanted to print that three thousand um, pixel wide image at three hundred DPI. That would come out as a 10-inch image, I believe. Is my math right there? 10 times 30, yeah, 300, yeah. Okay. 3,000, okay. Mm -hmm. Right? Ten, 10 times what? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Listeners? <laughs> what, what, what say you? <laughs> on the spot, on the fly. Um, if, but if I select 150, now I can print that as a 20-inch wide image using the same amount of pixels because there's not as much pixel density now I'm making uh, you're you're making some adjustments there to say that there's not going to be as much detail in that image when you're viewing it up close. You might actually see possibly the pixels at 150, whereas a smaller image at 300 you wouldn't see. Um, you could keep stretching that out to say, okay, I want to print it where we went to on a billboard. Yeah, on a billboard. Okay, so the trick here is viewing distance when you talk about correct resolution, but Billboards can go as low as seven DPI, like seven, Where, like, because you're, you're viewing them so far away mm. that it doesn't matter. Your eye is smooshing all those pixels together, so um, you're not resolving the detail. So the, the core of the message, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> on that front is um, distance matters. And again, talk to your printer. If you're sending this someplace and you have a 72 DPI image, mm -hmm. I've seen 72 DPI images look literally amazing, like high quality, because some of these printers have amazing uh, devices that can interpolate an image and really make the image shine. Um, they've got the hardware but to for, deal with. But forgive it. me for being, I'm, I'm just, the DPI does not matter at all on a computer screen. Until you print. Until you print. Correct. Okay. I just need to, I need to clarify yeah, that, that for no, myself and yep. to maybe any other listeners that are, no, that are, you're, you're that totally are hanging right. with me on that, you know? You're totally right. Um, Okay. Um, <laughs> Neil's brain hurts. <laughs> I got to go back and listen to this yeah. episode a couple of times. Yeah, guys, we've got one more. We've got one more here. All yeah. right. Yeah. Scott, Mr. Think and Color. What is soft proofing? And oh, why? man. Yeah, soft proofing's great. So, soft proofing gives you the ability to view on screen what a print on a specific device is going, and paper, actually is going to look like. 
So you're simulating what your, what your image is going to look like when you print it on Epson Fine Art Rag or, or something like that. Um, so what you need to soft proof is a profile of that device and paper. And where are you going to get this from? If you're sending it to a printer, come on, guys. <laughs> You're going to get it from, a, from your printer. You're going to get it from your printer. Yeah. Yes, you're going to call your specialty printer and say, hey, what profile should I send this to you in? Ta-da. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so, right. and, good job. Right. <laughs> Thank Five. <laughs> and so, I want to grade when we're done. <laughs> um, so you take that profile. You're getting an A. Um, <laughs> okay. You take that profile, and you can actually load it into Lightroom. And there's a little soft-proof checkbox, mm -hmm. right? And you can hit that soft-proof checkbox, and then select the profile for your output device, and Lightroom is going to render what that image is going to look like. So suddenly you're gonna say like, hey, where'd my blacks go? Kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Why, why are my blacks so flat now? Well, now I have the choice that if that's how it's gonna print, maybe I want some more contrast in there. Or maybe I just say, eh, that's how it's gonna look and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But at least you're making informed decisions at that point. You can go ahead and make adjustments, try to pump up the saturation of certain areas, based on that device. So there's a lot of power within that, other than just having this, this beautiful, you know, this image that looks great on screen, and you send it out to a printer, and it comes back, and it's completely different, and you don't understand why that happens. Well, maybe if you had the profile, you could have soft-proofed. So here's the takeaway, everybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you my, what I think, and then correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, the, the takeaway is calibrate your monitor calibrate that make it look good so that when you're editing you at least have the that starting point to work off of you know when mm -hmm. you're adding your raw mm -hmm. images and then when you're going to output to whatever you're going to output to find out what you're actually outputting to what is the color profile what what, what are they using what is your yeah. printer using what is what are well if it's their screens it's srgb right Right. But have an idea of what's that, what's happening there, and if you and and at least then, at least then you have a starting point. You have at least a better chance than you did if you didn't do any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. right. And then and then you're second guessing when you get a client tells you like it looks dark or whatever, totally. like we were talking yeah. about before. Have a conversation. Call call people up and say, hey, I've never done this before. What's what's the best way? How do I get the best quality out of your devices? Yeah, and we should care. All right, well, because this, because be, we do yeah, this yeah. professionally. Photos so, getting a yeah. call from me tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so um, let me just make sure. That's it. Wham bam. Yeah, Scott. Yeah. Wow. Hey. Thank you, sir. Yeah. yeah. Happy to yeah. confuse everyone. And, yeah. No, that was good. It's, no, it's just yeah. one that was good. of those things to think it's about. Kinda, you, you have know? to kind of swallow your medicine and, yeah. uh, and do what you have to do. You know what I mean? Right, right, you do. Right. When in doubt, sRGB, but know that there's more out there. And there's a whole world out there of, of color management and ways to deal with this stuff and printer profiles. And you can drive yourself crazy, and a lot of us do. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Scott earlier. How much do you hate black and white images? <laughs> Where's the color? No. Right. They're tricky. Black and white has bias, right? It could be like kind of green or kind of magenta. Is it totally neutral? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are guys that go and grab, um, you know, just quad tone inks, like just new, dead nuts neutral inks um, so that they can make these beautiful images. But then you go and display them in, you know, weird lighting in tungsten. And mm. there's, there's a lot of variables. And so color management is about 
harnessing these variables, knowing what you're going to get so that when I view that image on the wall, it's exactly as I intended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm still wondering why I got the dollar store crayon and you got the Crayola. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm going to go to a dollar store tonight and test the two. <laughs> absolutely. So I think um, maybe we'll just get into some listener questions and just go through reviews here sure, very quickly. Sure. Um, we had... Uh, uh, Elizabeth, who's actually in our area right in, which was cool. Um, and she just basically wanted us to touch. What did she want us to touch on here? Um, oh, the, just the idea of she would love to know more of our thoughts on the oversaturation of the photography community. Um, and then she kind of goes on. But that's basically the main thing she wanted us to, to touch on. And I think we kind of already did talk about this a little bit, right? Um, where just, mm-hmm. I, you know, I just feel like... Um, as far as the oversaturation thing goes, it's going to happen. There are people out there. There's going to be people that are working at different different levels. And as long mm-hmm. as we continue to get better, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of where you're at, then if you're doing well now, you're, you're going to continue to do well as long mm-hmm. as you keep working I think uh, and pushing yourself. I think there's almost a new photographer in the area almost like every day. Yeah. I mean, it seems like ever hear the, uh, the saying, um, mom-tographers? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty much the bride. She gets pregnant. She has a baby. And she's kind of, you know, home, not working, and she's taking pictures of the baby, gets a good picture, and then all of a sudden she posts it online, gets a lot of likes, and then and then she's a photographer, and then she's starting doing weddings. So it, it seems like there's almost a photographer coming along almost every every day, but the strongest will survive. You know, I, I kind of raised, you know, concern a couple months ago. I, you know, it was the off season, so you, your mind kind of thinks about things a lot. And, you know, you said pretty much, you know, the strongest will survive. And, mm-hmm. and pretty much you are right, you know. Yeah. Um, you just got to be different. And But we all started there, though, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, yeah, oh, that's always the thing, too. Yeah. Like, like, I was... Not the photographer, well, but, yeah, well, yeah, but, but I was at that same place. Yeah. You I know mean, what I mean? Like, I guess a couple time, a couple of weeks ago, Neil Van Niekerk, he was a dead dead photographer. You know, yeah, he, right. he was a he was a dad, stay at home dad, and you know, he just started tinkering around with the camera. So, right, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean, we were all there. We we're all yeah. There. I, I guess my, my my just ultimate point on that is like is. And that we were just talking earlier, kind of off the air, so to speak, that sometimes, you know, like I got to stay, stay on top of pushing myself because if I if you don't, then you start slacking, you can start feeling it and you can start telling that, you know, what's happening in your work and you can't let that happen to yourself. You got to keep pushing yourself to to one up yourself all the time. And I think if you keep doing that, everything will be fine. But the second that you start to get lazy, then it shows in your work and then it'll impact your business long term. So I think you have to be a good version of yourself, whatever mm-hmm. you're doing. And mm-hmm. That's more uh, focused toward inwardly, yeah. towards yourself, rather than looking at everybody else out there. There's always going to be new people, like you mm-hmm. said, Neil. But yeah, I mean, not only is it oversaturation in photographers, but it, now it's oversaturating the internet of Google searches. You know, when now when someone searches for a wedding photographer online, hundreds will show up, and it depends on who shows up in the top you know what first three pages that that they say and then after that people stop clicking um so i that's that's another thing that you have to worry about too um not only there's a lot of photographers but there's a lot of them on the internet of google searches yeah you know but i you know, you know i, I wonder mean? like how much business i actually get from google searches versus what i get from referrals and i kind of like when i have a couple come in 
every time I do like ask them like how did you guys hear of me and mm-hmm. I would say like most of the time like 70% of the time it's usually because I shot a friend's wedding or something like that yeah. a year or two ago my rankings were like on the top like if you search in Buffalo like I was coming up first um, and it's changed when I did my re- my website update this yeah. past year but I don't even um, think I exist anymore but yeah so I don't I was worried about that but then it but the better part of my business oh, oh, just started selling there Hello. Hey everybody, we're back. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> had a little issue with the, the recorder there. But back uh, to the oversaturation issue. You know, whenever I look on my Google Analytics, you know, people are mostly searching for Neil Urban, and I am showing up. But not a lot of people are finding me by when when they search Buffalo wedding photographer, unless they're really close to me. I kind of notice like when I'm close to my studio, um, I show up. Andy shows up because he's right down the road from me, but you know, the people who are in the next town away, they're not showing up because Google has kind of changed their, uh, their way of search. Yeah. Based on location. So like if you're in a certain area, the photographers that are closer to you will show up essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, can you turn that off? I wonder if there's a Google setting for that. There might be, but I don't think so. I think their, their searches, they keep they want local. Their, yeah. local. Yeah. And even, even if you can, would the normal person know how to? You know, right. Would, would yeah. the everyday yeah. bride really yeah. care to turn it off? Probably. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Know? So it's just going to, so, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, okay. But stay strong, Elizabeth. They're, uh, <laughs> Keep shooting. Get yep. better. Yep. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I don't think it, it's just, it is what it is, man. We just, we just keep going and doing what we do. And you, and if you're quality, you breathe quality, then people find you. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. I'm, I'm starting to care less and less about Google, even though I say that and I still keep checking. You know? Isn't that sad? Like our, so li- our lives, our careers depend on like Google and Facebook yeah, nowadays. Yeah. It's craziness. <laughs> um, you know, I just want to thank, uh, uh, Luke for also getting in contact with us as well. Um, I, and I think we're going to take you up on that at some point soon. Uh, so we will, uh, contact luca he's a part-time photographer that's interested in uh yeah, jumping on the Seattle, show washington so. that's awesome so um i think we'll uh we'll try and make that happen yeah um and then also uh thank you uh everybody for the, keeping those reviews coming in that absolutely helps us um help you um as far as those reviews come in so other people can find the show uh if you have questions please send them in to info at wedding photographers unite.com that is info at wedding photographers unite.com uh go ahead and send us any any uh, emails in there and anything uh anything else gentlemen uh, where can people find you guys? Uh, people can find me at neilurban.com. Uh, N-E-A-L-U-R-B-N. Just Google my name. Find me on social media. Mm-hmm. Scott? Um, you can find me thinkincolor.net or Scott Sutherland. If you can spell that, I'll be impressed. <laughs> and uh, you can find me by Googling Andy Buscemi. Last name is B-U-S-C-E-M-I. Thank you, everybody, for listening in and learning about color today. Ooh, learning awesome. about color. Thanks, guys. It's fun. Thank you, Scott Sullivan. Thank you. <laughs> and goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Farewell. Wedding photographers. Invite.